Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, the text reads, when Jesus had completed all of his discourse and the hearing of the people. Let me, let me pause and speak into this right here. Jesus had finished teaching what we have in Luke chapter 6, if you will. And in Luke chapter 6, I made the observation a few weeks ago that it really is a manual for discipleship. Jesus gives us some incredible teachings. Uh, he, he said that he was bringing new wine. And new wine is the new covenant truth that Jesus would be offering. And this new wine that Jesus is bringing, he said, you can't pour new wine into old wineskin, it won't won't house it. This new wine that Jesus is bringing is all about the attitude of the heart. You see, the law and the old system was all about performance. It was all about the outward. And Jesus comes in and he says, hey, I'm, I'm coming at your heart. And once I come in and you start to drink this new wine, Caitlin, that I'm offering, it's going to change your heart attitude about your circumstances. It's going to change your heart about other people. It's going to change your heart about God. It's even going to change your heart about yourself. Remember when they asked Jesus, hey, uh, what is the greatest command? And he goes, "Uh, the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, others, as you do yourself. So the new wine that Jesus is bringing allows us to step into that, to really love God, to love others, and to love ourselves. So when we think about new wine, Jesus would ultimately die the criminal's death, but he would cry out and uh, he would give up the spirit. So some 50 days later, Pentecost means 50, 50 days after his his death, uh, at Pentecost, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. So when you think about this new wine that Jesus is ultimately bringing, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, I will send the comforter, the parakletos, the helper. So when Jesus gives us the helper, now we can live a spirit-filled life and a spirit-controlled life and we can have Christ in us. And so when God comes in and we drink this new wine that he offers, he empowers us with this new wine to be able to do what was never able to be done by people. And that was stuff like uh, this new wine, this spirit-filled life is going to allow you to love your enemies. This new wine, the spirit-filled life is going to allow you to pray for those people that hurt you. This new wine is going to allow you to turn the other cheek when someone wrongs you. It's going to allow you to go the extra mile. You're going to want to because you've got me in you and my economy is different. It's going to allow you to give expecting nothing in return. It's going to allow you to build up others and get rid of this critical spirit where you're damning and condemning and judging all the time. And it's going to allow you to build your house on the right kind of foundation. And Jesus, Elaine, what he kept saying is, do you not realize that I've come to uh, offer my yoke and my teachings, my discourse to you, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But if you follow me and you break away from the old system and Break away from your flesh patterns. If you follow me, it's going to be costly. 
And, and, and if you really do call me Lord, authority, master, ruler of your life, if you really do, Candace, call me Lord, then you're going to have to do what I say do. You follow me? Luke chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching with words. 7, 8, and 9, Julie, he's teaching by example. So he goes from discourse, teaching, proclamation of word, and now he's going into, watch my example. Back to verse 1, Jesus went back to Capernaum. Capernaum is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, been there saw so many of those structures, old structures where Jesus would have taught. Many believe that that's where Peter's mother-in-law's house was, went there, many of these places. And so Jesus is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias, if you will, and he's back in Capernaum where he does a ton of his ministry. A centurion slave who was highly regarded by him a centurion slave servant, the word highly regarded means he held him in high honor. He greatly valued this guy. This servant was sick and was about to die. Jesus is back in Capernaum. Now he's about to show through example who he is and how to live out this new wine. When the centurion heard that Jesus was back in Capernaum, he sent some Jewish elders asking him, to come and save the life of this slave guy, this man, this servant. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored Jesus, saying, uh, uh, this guy, the centurion, he's worthy for you to grant this to him. He loves our nation, and it was even he, he who built our synagogue. Stop for a second. Stop. Centurions in that day, they were Roman army officers that would oversee some hundred soldiers plus. The centurions of, of that day, most of them were Gentiles, and they represented this Roman rule that was harsh, and they abused, so many of them did, and misused their power and influence that they had. They were despised by the Jewish people, but not this centurion. This centurion here, he leveraged his position and power to take care of other people. When you start to read about him, he was respected by others. He genuinely loved the people. He genuinely cared about the people. He cared about the nation of Israel. He, they even said, he helped build our church, the synagogue. This guy fears the true God that you are, Jesus. Uh, uh, he's a Gentile. He's a centurion. He's got power, but he loves and cares about people. And, and one of his servants is sick, and he's about to die. And this centurion loves that guy. Is there any way, Jesus, you would come and honor this request. And so he sends the Jewish leaders, spiritual leaders that admired this man. We admire you. So when he goes to the Jewish leaders and elders and those that were the big boys in Judaism, they're like, we love you. We trust you. And we know the servant. We'll, we'll go to Jesus on your behalf. Stop. Just stop. Ponder this. 
Do you love people? Do you genuinely love people? Do you care about other people? Like genuinely, do you care about them? Are you respected by others? Do you leverage your influence to serve others? Or do you leverage your influence to promote yourself? This guy leveraged his influence to honor, love, and serve people, John Mark. Very powerful to consider. Here would be my other question to you. In a time of crisis, when all hell is breaking loose, who do you turn to? Who do you have in your space right now that you would say, that's my prayer circle? Who in your life do you trust to, to pray for you, to pray with you, to walk with you? It is so comforting to know that when you go through times of trial and tragedy and sorrow and sickness, that there's other people that are walking with you. Life is hard, but life is harder when you try to do it alone. Who's walking with me? Who knows my heart? Who trusts me and respect me? Who do I trust and respect? Who, who do I trust to connect with Jesus on my behalf when, when it's all falling apart? My buddy Chip was in the first service this morning and his wife fell and she had an accident back around October 12th of last year, 2022. She's been in a coma ever since. And, and, and Chip started coming to church here and Chip got involved with Steve Trailer and some of these guys in a men's Bible study. And now he's got like this group of guys walking with him. He increased his prayer circle and network. He's got guys that love him, that care, that care for him. And I looked in Chip's eyes today as I was breaking down this point and he was weeping because I can't imagine what it would be walking through it alone. My brother Chad baptized our brother Norm just about six weeks ago. And Norm had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and Norm passed away yesterday. But he's got people like Rob and people like Diane and, and Michael and Chad and so many others like Neil and others that have walked with this brother. He went through our radical mentoring and he started building relationships. This Catholic marinade that had never really been exposed to evangelical Christianity. God in his kindness would allow this guy some two years ago to be uprooted and moved from Toledo, Ohio to Loganville, Georgia. To introduce him to the goodness of the gospel. To get his heart ready for heaven. And he takes his last breath yesterday. And he stepped into the presence of the Lord. And there's so many other stories that we could share. But life is hard. And it's even harder when you try to do it by yourself. 
We, we benefit from community, John Mark. We benefit from having others, man, just hold us up at times. Life is hard. Back to verse 6, it says, Jesus went with them. I mean, they implored and begged Jesus, would you please come over here? The centurion that we really respected, admire, this servant of his is sick. He's about to die. Jesus is like, all right, I'll go with you. But before they arrived at the house, the centurion sent word saying, Lord, Master, Authority, Jesus, don't trouble yourself by coming to my house. I'm not worthy of such an honor. Just say the word from wherever you're at, and my servant will be healed. I, I, I know this because I am under authority. I have authority over my soldiers. And I can say go, and they go and come, and they come and do this, and they do that. If you just speak the word from where you're at. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. He was amazed, and he looked at the crowd that was following him. Don't miss this. And Jesus said, all right, I say to you, not even in Israel, have I found such great faith? Not even in Israel, not even amongst these people that are Pharisees and Sadducees and people that claim that they're followers of God, not even amongst these God-style-fearing people have I found such faith. That guy does love this nation. He does love the God that y'all worship. He does have reverence. I'm telling you, I have never found such great faith. The text goes on to read that when they returned home, the servant that was sick, he was healed and in good health. But take that statement, I have never found such great faith. If the Lord was speaking about my life or your life, would he say, I, I've never seen such great faith? Or would he say, I've never seen such shallow faith? Or I've never seen such empty faith? You see, when we go through the different seasons of life and the trials and the tragedies and the testings that we go through, a great need demands a great faith. When there is a great need, a need greater than our ability to meet it, a need that we know that we don't have the resources to pull it off, a great need demands a great faith. The great pastor, proclamator, of truth, Charles Spurgeon said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but a great faith will bring heaven to your soul. A, a, a little faith may make you cry out and say, God, would you save me? But a great faith calls heaven down to your space and it invades you and it empowers you and it overtakes you. Spurgeon said, hey, man, you got to have a great faith great faith. And when we repent, truly repent, and turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive the free gift of salvation that only God can give, he enrolls us in the school of faith. 
You can't come to him without faith. As many as received him that believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If I believe that he is Savior, if I believe that he is the only one that can rescue me from darkness and transfer me into light, If I have enough faith to believe that, then Steve, he enrolls me into the school of faith. Why? Because faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Faith is the mark of a true disciple of Jesus. The followers, those early followers of Jesus, they were called believers before they were become uh, called Christians. Look, look, they're they're believers. They're believers of the way. Why, why, Why is that so important? Because we're called to believe God. We're called to press into the Lord. And we have to ask the question, do I believe? Do I believe? Do I have greater faith? And if we say, yes, I do believe, yes, I do have faith, I will promise you this with all my heart, faith, somewhere that has never been tested, cannot be trusted. If you truly have faith and say that, yes, you're yielding and surrendering, true faith is going to go through test and trials and the fire. Faith has never been tested, can't be trusted. It has to go through severe obstacles and persecution. But once that faith has been tested, then we realize that God can be trusted. Can God be trusted? And how he grows us from little faith, even the disciples would say, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. We read in Scripture, even the book of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those who come to God must believe God really does exist, and he rewards those who diligently Seek after him. And I will tell you, if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. You go, I'm a people pleaser. Then you need to repent and have a major shift where you become a God pleaser. Believing and living by faith pleases God. God. I want you to think about this, Mary. The ultimate evil is not murder. The ultimate evil is not to OD on drugs. The ultimate evil is unbelief. The greatest sin is unbelief, refusing to believe. Lost people are condemned and will spend eternity in hell not because of their sin, 
but because they refuse to believe. Think about it. I had people tell me right after I got saved, your sin will send you to hell. Started praying through that and thinking through that. No, my sin will not send me to hell. Jesus died for my sin. It's refusing to believe that what he did on the cross is sufficient. Thus, I will die in my sin and spend eternity in hell if I refuse to believe. We have to believe. And the word believe means that I am persuaded then to take action. I've never seen greater faith. Your sin will keep you alienated. Your sin will keep you distant. But refusing to believe that Jesus Christ is enough, that he is sufficient, that he is the atoning sacrifice once and for all, for all sin, it is unbelief that will send you to hell. Unbelief. So refusing to believe is the source of all sin. We are called to live by faith, not by sight, by believing God. By believing God, which implies I must obey what I know. And I must obey what God says. I can't a la carte the pieces I like and just obey that. I want you to obey what I say. Our responsibility is not to totally understand everything because we can't. Our responsibility is saying to God, I will obey you. We have to be willing to obey when God speaks, whether it makes sense or not, Crystal. When God speaks and says, step into this, I'm scared. I've never done this before. It's out of my comfort zone. I want you to obey me. Okay, I will obey you. And when you do, watch God began to expand your horizon in your world. Watch it. Again, I've shared this, but I share it again. Last Sunday, we were down at the beach, and so at 10 a.m. Alabama time, I'm like, I'm worshiping with the Cross Loganville today. Fired up, engaged in worship. And I'm like, I love our team. I love our body, man. I'm so proud of our people. And then Nick gets up and just breaks it down. I'm like, what a powerful word. I remember about six years ago, I said, hey, Nick, I want you to take a Sunday morning and you bring the word. Brother, I've never done it. But Nick, I'm telling you, you you're such a, a godly dude and you want to honor the Lord and you're a fun communicator and you are very intriguing to listen to. Nick, you can do it. Remember what Nick said last week that Eugene Peterson repeatedly told his son? Hey, uh, God loves you. God's on your side. He's pursuing you and he's relentless. So Nick spoke. That Monday afterwards, we were sitting in my office and I said, so what are you thinking? Whew. I was thinking that 
It challenged me. It stretched me. It pushed me out of my comfort zone. But if I, if I was going to speak again, I think I learned some things that I would implement. I said, really? Great. You're speaking again in four weeks. <laughs> he goes, seriously? And I said, no, you are. Because God's got his hand on your life and leading worship is only part of what God is raising you up to do. And he stepped into it. And he stepped into it again and again and again. Do you know how you get good at anything? It's by doing it. It's by stepping into it. It's by experiencing failures. It's by making a fool out of yourself at times. How foolish that dude is. I, the one thing I know, he's stepping into it. He's probably scared. He's probably timid. He's probably never done it before, but he's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again. You people would not even be sitting here today listening to me if you would have heard me speak for the first time. You would have wrote me off. You would have said, Well, too bad he can't play baseball. Maybe he can help his dad do drywall. And you would have wrote me off, Taylor. But here's what I've come to realize. Step into it, obey God. If you're having a faith problem today, then I would be willing to say you're probably having an obedience problem. I'm having a faith problem. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it really a faith problem or is it really... An obedience problem. Here's what I mean by that. Is there something that you need to confess and repent from? I'm holding on to this. I've got this sin that I'm pacifying in my life. Oh, I, I just don't have that kind of faith. No, 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 no. Do you have that kind of obedience to confess? And deal with it before God. i got to confess this. i got to repent of it. Is there a relationship that God has set right before you telling you, as far as it depends on you, you be at peace with that person, and I want you to go try to make it right? Yeah, yeah, there is, but I've written that person off. Really. We were talking this week. And I've stepped into a lot of different funerals, memorials, different things over the years. But I was talking to a friend this week, and he looked at me and he said, my grandmother and her brother did not speak for the last 44 years of her life. Really? How big could it have been? Really, so we're, we're just going to sever it and say, you know what, as far as it depends on me. Here, here's, a, here, here's another one. Is there a word that God has put on your heart that you know that you're supposed to share with a family member or friend, but you've just ignored it and said, I'm not doing it? Is there a person that God has told you to go bless? And you're like, I'm not doing that. True faith is setting my affection on something bigger than what I'm living for right now. 
When I start to move toward the heart of God, I'm setting my affection and attention and allegiance on something bigger than what I'm living for right now. I'm allowing the new wine to change me from the inside out. God wants to grow our faith. And I can promise you going back all the way to October of 1985 when I said, yes, Jesus, I believe, he has stretched me. He has grown me from little faith and just childlike faith is supposed to stay in us forever anyway. But he's like, I want to grow you so that you have greater faith. So I'm like, if I'm going to grow into greater faith, what does that imply? Well, the Lord has been teaching me over the years that greater faith believes that God wills what is best for us in his love. Believe that? God wills what is best for us in his love. God knows what is best for us in his wisdom, and God is able to do what is best for us with his power. I'm like, God, you will what is best. I do, because you're loving, you're agape. You know in your wisdom, the omniscience of God, you know what is best. I'm like, do you believe that, Tim? And I'm like, I do. Are you going to step in and trust him? Do you believe he's able to do what is best, Brian, in his power? I'm like, i got to step into that. Because part of living by faith and believing God, faith sees the invisible and ends up doing the impossible. We're not talking about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, stuff that would only just benefit you. We're talking about stepping in and when God says, trust me, we trust him. A greater faith realizes, i got to get people to Jesus. The centurion had greater faith because he's like, this guy, this guy is sick and I've got to get him in proximity of Jesus. A greater faith will do whatever it takes to get a loved one, a family member, or a friend in the presence of Jesus. Next week is Easter. You heard Erica share such a beautiful testimony. But who in your life right now is alienated, distant from God, disconnected from fellowship and community, and has absolutely zero Jesus foundation or pulse in their life? You've got people like that in your world right now. You sit there and you go, I know some people that need the gospel. I know some people that are living hopeless lives right now that they need hope. They need to be set free. And if Jesus has come to set the captive free, i got to get them to Jesus. I can't fix them. Who's the Lord putting on your heart? Who are you supposed to call? Who are you supposed to go visit? Who are you supposed to go to and say, hey, Spencer, next Sunday, I know you're disengaged and you haven't been to church in a while and you've gone through a lot of trauma, but I would love for you, whether it's Saturday night or Sunday morning, I would love for you to come to church with me. If I need to come get you, I will, but I want you to sit with me and I'll be right there with you. Because you know they need to get to Jesus. Greater faith. So then we pick up the next story where Jesus leaves Capernaum. He now enters the city called Nain, a little small village. Nain. His disciples were with him, plus a large crowd. And as he approached the city gate, 
Back then, the cities were fortified with walls. There was a gate that you would go in and out to go into the town. As Jesus approaches the city gate, listen to this. A dead man was being carried out. A dead man is being carried out. He was the only son of his mom. She was a widow. And when the Lord saw her, not him, not the dead, not the deceased, but when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, do not weep. She's bawling her eyes out. You've got professional mourners in that day. They were paid to cry and mourn and grieve in that culture. Jesus looks and says, do not weep. Jesus then came, touched the coffin, and the bearers of the coffin came to a sudden halt. And he said, young man, speaking to the dead, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up. And he began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mom. You got the picture? You've got the only son of this woman. You've got a lady who is a widow, which implies her husband had died. Jesus looks at a woman who's experienced incredible grief. Now her baby boy is dead. In that culture, women were not permitted to work. They depended on their husbands. If their husbands died, they depended on their son. And now she has no one to look after her, care for her, provide for her. She is in an awful situation. She believes now that she is going to be sentenced to a life that would be destitute, alone, She would be forced to beg. She has no way to provide for herself. And then in steps Jesus. So the question would be, do you feel alone? Do you feel rejected? Do you feel dejected? Do you feel abandoned? Have you gone through that? Man, I feel like I'm living a life, man, just isolated. Everything that I've known, everything that I've trusted, everything that I had has been pretty much taken away from me. Who's going to love me? Who's going to care for me? Jesus steps in. Don't, 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 Don't miss this. And in Jewish culture, the teachers and the rabbis of that day, they would never, never, never touch a dead body. And they would never even get close to a coffin, if you will, Jewish law taught that if you do that, it makes you unclean. But Jesus being Jesus has never really been concerned with protocol and etiquette. He cares more for people. He's got a heart for those that are hopeless and hurting. And he comes to the open coffin and he lays hands on the dead. And in doing so, he took the stench of death upon himself and he becomes defiled. But the only thing he cares about is to bring comfort to those who are hurting. And he basically is looking at this lady and all of this crowd and all of these professional mourners, and he's basically looking at this lady saying, I, I, I see you, I love you, 
You matter. I'm willing to enter into your pain. And I think that's the message he's telling us today. Dawn, I see you. I love you, Kim. Linda, I'm fond of you, and you matter to me, and no matter what you're going through, I'm willing to step in and enter into your pain. I'm willing to meet you right where you are. You don't have to clean up to come to me. I'm willing to meet you. I'm willing to love you. I'm willing to give you something that you've never tasted before. You've tried the world. You've tried the world system. You've tried You've got failed relationship. There's all this debris scattered in your rear view. You've tried it, but you, you haven't come to me, and you haven't believed me, and you haven't trusted me. He stops, and he looks upon the dead, and he says, I say to you, arise. I say to you, arise. You've got the scene. If this woman was crying before, she is sobbing her eyes out now. Her tears of sorrow have been turned into tears of joy. Her devastation has now turned to celebration. Tears are streaming down her face. Jesus said, do not weep. You don't know who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. When I speak, Change happens. When life speaks to death, death has to respond. That's what Jesus is saying. And to give you evidence that I'm giving him life, the boy sits up and begins to speak. The God of all comfort is in your midst. The God that loves you and cares about you and wants to see you flourish in life. He's with us today. Do I believe that? If you're going through a trial or a tragedy or you're heartbroken, do I believe that Jesus sees? Do I believe that Jesus knows? Do I believe that Jesus cares? Do I believe he's available to me? He's not just available. He's available to me. And so... The rub, the tension is, do I believe that Jesus is enough? Do I believe that Jesus will carry me through the darkest night? Do I believe that he is faithful? Do I believe that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother? Do I believe he will never forsake me or abandon me? Do I believe? I do. Do I believe that he is the resurrection and the life? I do. I'll close you with this. Jesus is greater than death. We will pause over this next week and consider the passion narrative of him making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, palm branches being waved, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will ponder those next hours and days of Jesus. We will ponder him weeping and sweat, sweating drops of blood in Gethsemane on that night before he would be crucified. Can't you just stay and watch and pray with me, fellows? We, we will ponder him walking into a place called Gabbatha, stony pavement, being shredded and beaten, taken into the garrison room where the crown of thorns is thrust through his brow. We will ponder and celebrate the fact that he walked 
the hill of Golgotha, Calvary's hill, and willfully died a criminal's death. We're, we're going to celebrate. But we were going to celebrate the fact that on the third day, the one that was murdered brutally defeated death, hell, and the grave once and for all. And we're going to celebrate the fact this week, and we celebrate it every day, that he's got the keys to death, hell, and the grave, that he's got He's got the voice. He's got permission to speak life into that and give life back to you no matter where you've been and what you've done. We're going to celebrate the fact that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He lives to make intercession for us. We're going to celebrate that he has defeated sickness and sin and death and difficulty. Did he defeat it? Yes. Yes. He's good to us. He's a good father. And I don't know what tension is going on in your life, how, how painful this last week or month or even year or a few years has been, but I would invite you, come to Jesus. Quit running to other things that are not going to save you and solve you and heal you. Come to Jesus. What do you know? I know that every person in this room, including me, we're starving for hope, we're starving for peace, we're starving for comfort, we're starving to believe that we're loved, we're starving to believe that God is on our side, we're starving to believe that if God is for us, who really can be against us? We're starving to believe what can separate me from the love of Christ, can death and all this, no. We're starving to, the, to believe that there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. We're starving to believe.